Hello and welcome to the 306th episode of the podcast. The, let's just start that again. <laughs> <clears throat> la 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 la. Ruhano. Ruhano. Okay, I'm ready. You're listening to the Slow Ride Podcast. Likes, advice, and rumors straight from the source. The Slow Ride and on Twitter at Slow Hello and welcome to the 306th episode of the Slow Ride Podcast. This is Tim in Orlando, Florida. Hey, this is Matt in Minneapolis. And this is Spencer in Boston, Massachusetts. You guys, we've got a lot to cover this week. Big news, huge news to drop about the Slow Ride Podcast. I don't know where you even want to start. Uh, It is fireworks start to finish. Yeah. And, you know, to be perfectly honest, it's a little late because we've been up late negotiating. Um, Lots of things going on. Mm -hmm. We uh, asked for proof of life or proof of payment. Mm -hmm. Still have yet to receive that. But we do anticipate payment to be coming through for the brand new Manuelo Foundation Slow Ride podcast. Yeah. They've been busy. They've been buying up everything they can see in cycling, including the Slow Ride podcast. So, you know, we're just waiting for that direct deposit to hit, but, uh, you know, shouldn't be a problem. Not expecting any issues with that. Um, They told us it's coming. Really excited. Yeah. Can't wait to uh, really glorify their brand brand, product um, investment firm. Do we know what kind of charity it is? We didn't really investigate this. Huh. It's a foundation of some charity. kind. I think we're the charity. We're, we're, <laughs> we are the charity. That's a charity. good point. <laughs> so the question of 2020, will Manuela Foundation find a sucker, I mean a team, to somehow get the World Tour license by the end of 2020? I mean, <laughs> it is cycling. There's, There's got to be a way. Yeah, they'll get one. I got to admit, I would have put it at... On Garmin's door. I, I would have thought Vodders would have been all over this, but turns out he doesn't own the license anymore, and now it's a uh, Education First owns that license. Mm. Yeah, he's been downright, downright snarky about it, so I don't think they're bringing him any money. I mean, yeah, do you guys think it was not. a bad idea for me to already agree to buy a bunch of things in cash <laughs> before Manuel's given us stuff? Like, I signed a couple purchase agreements on some some no, properties. I'm sure, it's fine. You think, you think that's going to... Come back and get me. Uh, I don't know. Wouldn't it be funny if Manuela Foundation are the people behind the Garmin hack? <laughs> ironically, like this is how they're going to get their money. Yeah, ironically, they offered ten million dollars to the uh, uh, CCC, so maybe maybe they didn't have that necessarily. And when they, um, you know, when the offer was accepted, they quickly had to figure out a way to get ten million dollars. And then hacked into Garmin and sent them a ransom for $10 million. <laughs> Which is arguably <laughs> the greatest company to hack would be the Garmin. Like, if I was, you know, girl with the dragon tattoo and really into the hacking world, uh-huh. I got to admit, Garmin would sneakily be a top two or three company that you should just totally hack because you're going to have everyone's data, all of their Physical data, uh-huh. biophysical data. You know how much people sleep at night data. Then, secret part about Garmin, I don't know if you guys know this, but cycling's a real small part of their portfolio. Yeah. They do all of the flight planning for like private pilots around the world. So that's how you like track your pilot logs are through Garmin. So as much as master 45-year-old uh, rider cares about his data being uploaded, yeah. Um, yeah, doesn't matter as much as the pilot making sure he knows where he's going to land at night. Yeah, that seems a little bit more important. Just a little bit, though. I mean, I don't know. Getting your stuff in training peaks is yeah. pretty important. So, But the big question for Manuela Foundation, I mean, whoever did this uh, terrible crime, 
is do you actually think Garmin will pay the ransom? And if not, who in the cycling world should they have hacked instead that would? Well, do you want the real answer to this or do you want the joke answer? Whatever one's better. Yeah, I want both. Oh, this is tough. Well, the good answer, the true answer is that the hack of Garmin supposedly is by a, a group of hackers called the Evil Corporation. Obviously. <laughs> yeah. Is, yeah. But since they're Russian, there's a State Department like edict that Garmin is not allowed to pay the, the ransom to them. Uh-huh. So Garmin's screwed. Like they like all of our data will never come back. All of these rides no. that I have done over the weekend <laughs> did not happen. Oh we are God. lucky it's our so Everesting tragic. challenge was earlier in the year and not right now. Oh. Otherwise I would have the perfect excuse for not winning. Yeah. Um, thinking you guys have you guys are lucky. I'm lucky. You guys would just be like, Oh, it was the Russian hackers that got in there. Maybe I was the one that opened up uh, Garmin to this. Um as far as joke answer uh-huh. as to what cycling company I would hack. Garmin would have been straight up there, but I don't know. I figure Canyon would be pretty good to hack. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, cheap bikes for cheap, apparently have enough money to fly cyclists around the country to go to racing still. Mm-hmm. So there's some good stuff in the Canyon coffers. I, I like Canyon bikes. I think they look great. So I think Canyon would be top of my list. Definitely a company for the future. Very good. Do you, do you and they're guys very e-commerce f- friendly. Do you guys ever feel like we were Spencer? I'm just talking to you, actually, um, Spencer. Do you ever feel like we were elite cat to cross racers too too early? Because now all these these jerk off cat twos are like getting sponsors and getting uh-huh. flown around and stuff, and and we were just driving around either in my Jetta or your Kia. Like, come on! I mean, like, what the hell? So, like, you were peaked too early? Like, you couldn't get the sponsorships? That's what you're yeah, saying? Yeah, we peaked too early. It feels like now, now Cat2s are getting all kinds of stuff. And I feel like we were vegan. We were Cat2s. You were vegan and you were Cat2, sure. But you also don't have 150,000 YouTube subscribers. Well, it feels like that's just because it was 2006. I think you're yeah. onto something. It's legit. Yeah. It's legit. I will say, I know there's a little bit of shade being flown around to uh, the, the the vegan cyclists on YouTube. But I got to admit, guys, he has like over 150,000 YouTube subscribers, I think, and millions of views. That probably worth the sponsorship to fly the guy around, you know? Like there is a, a trade-off. And as, as awesome as you guys were as Category 2 cyclists, mm-hmm. um, I mean, I don't know how many YouTube subscribers or viewers you have, little guy. But uh, I don't know if it's millions. <laughs> I don't have any subscribers yet. But once I get this <laughs> link working. Uh, certainly, though, when we were cat twos traveling around to big bike races, even though we weren't putting on on YouTube, we were not flying from, uh, you know, virus infected places to uh, places where where they were for some reason allowing races to happen and uh, just mixing it up with so, guys. So, so the fact that there is bike racing right now in the United States blows my mind. Yeah. It's buck wild. Especially like the right, like, so let's just say, Oh, you know, some States have it under control so they can have, okay. The racing <laughs> that happened this past weekend was in Georgia, which not thank God, like Georgia's motto right now is thank God for Florida with all the, uh-huh. the, the testing and the issues down here. So now there's, there's outbreaks all over in Georgia and then they still put on bike racing. To me, the problem isn't really the promoter per se. And the, to me, it's why is USA cycling permitting these events? Like I have more of an issue with USA cycling for permitting events Mm. in a country that is in under such severe pandemic. This isn't like the racing that's happening in Europe where I have a lot, you know, like, okay, that seems to be under control a lot more (laughs) like the virus tracing and, you know, contact tracing and the testing, you can get your results back within two weeks. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I put the blame on USA cycling more than I put the blame on the promoter or the racer showing up. I mean, I think it's a pretty equal amount of blame. Yeah. (laughs) But ultimately it comes down to the USA cycling, either approving or denying a permit. That's true. That's hundred percent true. But I mean, like, like, like at some point, it does take two to tango. Sure. But at some point, well, it takes three to you know, it takes three to tango. Let's let's 
you know, call a spade a spade here because somebody has to show up to the bike race. Somebody has to put on the bike race, but literally nobody has to permit the bike race. So USA Cycling probably didn't doesn't, have to do that. The bike race could have happened regardless. And the fact that they and then their hands would be clean, and then yeah. we could go after the promoter and the racer. Indeed, but like I now I will die on this hill to say that ninety nine percent of the blame to me lies with USA Cycling for not shutting it down because they well, they should be the adults in the room. I'm gonna, uh, maybe, but I'm going to say. A bike racer couldn't show up to bike race and USA Cycling wouldn't have anything to permit if somebody wasn't willing to put on a bike race during a pandemic. Sure. But the, okay. T- point totally I taken. That's, but that's I the, look uh, at the, the, the governing organization of the sport that I've invested my life into right, okay. to be the adult <laughs> in the room to say like, you know what guys, we don't want our hands anywhere no. near this. Like, <laughs> this is just not for us. You know what I'm saying? No. Like, if you want to unsanction it, go right ahead. You've been a USA Cycling member for how long, Tim? <laughs> 2004. Uh-huh. So, you know, you know how well the licensing process works, how good their website works, so the infrastructure. <laughs> you have complete faith that this... Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. So I'm just saying... Maybe, uh, you know, you're putting a little bit of uh, responsibility <laughs> on the shoulders uh, that may not uh, deserve to be holding it. I'm just Maybe. saying, although they are responsible for our Olympic bid for cycling <laughs> events... Maybe not like a well-oiled machine is just all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. Okay, I'm just, uh, I just think that, you know, sometimes... You know, if like when I was a teacher, uh-huh. if a fight happened in my room uh-huh. and it lasted a really long time, uh-huh. eventually people are going to be like, wait, what was the teacher doing during all of that time? Right. They wouldn't be like, yes, the two kids fought. That's the problem. They would be like, the adult should have stepped in and stopped the fight. Hmm. <laughs> I don't know how, I don't know if that lines up exactly, but I see what you're saying. I think we're going to. Well, we're going to end up disagreeing and I don't know if we're going to agree to disagree. We're just going to disagree <laughs> on this, but uh I think I think the biggest problem here and this is uh you know normal bike racer uh we're taking normal bike racer and we're taking them out of this equation. We're putting them over here to the <laughs> side because YouTube superstar bike racer going there for his own benefit and profit at the risk of others not from the area. <laughs> Crossing state lines, crossing across the country, that's wild. Yeah. That, yeah, like, I don't know. From California to Georgia, that's a lot of state lines, right? Like, that's, <sighs> that's the equivalent of flying from, I don't know, the eastern U.S. to, what, like Iceland? I mean, it's quite the distance. It's a little ways. Yeah, it's a little ways. I uh, mm-hmm. don't think that's very smart. I mean, let's just put it this way. Nobody in this situation made a very smart decision. No, no, no. I totally agree with you on that. Like it, like we're, we're trying to decide who was the most wrong. We're trying to decide. Yes. We're trying yeah. to decide who is the most wrong. Uh, yeah. anyway, so did we decide? Wrong. I mean, Kenya. yeah, the podium, it's a wide angle podium. There's a lot of room for everybody up there. So that's exciting. We got through that. Um, the uh the Garmin hack happened. I don't is there anything else we need to hash in here, boys, other than the fact that masters racers and riders across the country are freaking out because they're gonna have to dig out the yeah. cable that connects their oh. Garmin computer to so you know, is that the only problem? Because that's what I I didn't understand. <laughs> I don't have a Garmin. I saw so a lot problem, of people complaining about needing a cable and I was just like, This is pathetic. This is yeah, so the normally most when you first upload, world problem. When you upload your Garmin ride, it goes to the interface Garmin Connect, which then forwards it on to Strava. And training okay. picks and everything else, yeah. yeah. But, I mean, yeah, yeah. the big winners oh, here man. are all the Wahoo users, you know, who uh, who got oh, the yeah. element or the bolt or whatever. And uh, they're doing just yeah. fine. They're riding. Hacked they're smashing their week. Everesting challenges and uh, living life to the fullest. Yeah, I might need to bring back that computer that broke on me. <laughs> But you can still do it with a cord. So I'm just so I'm clear. It still works with a cord. Yeah. Yeah. That I guess. So here we are. 
we have made it through the beginning part of the podcast. We have a ton of listener emails. We're going to go back into time for Little Guy's throwback corner. And then Little Guy's going to tell us a little bit about Matthew Vanderpool's MVPs, slaying it out on the road. So, guys, mm. here is my question to you. What do you want to do first? Do you want to go emails now or do you want to get into, um, I don't know, the throwback corner? I I don't know what this throwback corner is. I have no idea what this is, so I'm curious. All right, little guy. This is your moment to shine. Okay, so I was doing a little research about ponytails a couple weeks ago. (laughs) And (laughs) that's just a little teaser. Time out. What kind of ponytails? (laughs) Like cycling ponytails? Ponytails in, in men's professional cycling. Okay. Okay, um, thank you. Eventually, I will finish this, and it will either be a video or like a, a special spinoff podcast series all about my ponytail research. But I was doing oh. some ponytail research, and I came across this 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 video, this thing on, it's like stickybottle.com. It's Pro Cycling's 10 Worst Fashion Disasters. Okay. Some awful stuff in here. It's from twenty. It's from the very end, okay. almost and the, Christmas twenty fourteen. Little guy, just to be clear, I, I think you rushed it too fast. The okay. title of the story is 10 Worst Fashion Disasters." Yeah, some awful stuff in here. Like yes, even yes, yes. the editor is like, "Some awful stuff in here." Click. Yeah, be be careful. Be yeah, careful. It's like, it's like so a this is from twenty fourteen. Yeah, it's totally a trigger warning. Now, what, what's funny to me when I opened this up, because I thought, well, this will be funny. There's almost nothing awful in here. It's almost, it's almost <laughs> nothing but good stuff. <laughs> and some of it, I think, might just be me. But I think some of it is just that since 2014, the, the rules of what's acceptable and what's cool on the bike have expanded a lot. And uh-huh. it's, so it, it was kind so of enlightening to see you. what 2014 looked like. I'm going to stop you right there, little guy. I, I think we should go down... From the 10 down the to the one. We'll go down the list. I can tell you number nine, clearly a problem. So you're already it's debatable. In all. No, number nine is, so, I think. Oh, no, no. Oh, so number nice. 10. Okay. Yeah. Start from the top. Number 10, Ryder Heshtal's sunglasses. Yeah. These so caused a big stir. I'm pretty sure that these probably caused a big stir on this hair podcast because I think we nah. existed in 2014. We did barely. We but talk, We talked yeah. about these sunglasses from Ryder Heshtal. Well, let's admit, in 2014, the fact that he wasn't wearing Oakleys that looked like they could cut you was uh-huh. a big deal in cycling for some crazy reason. And now there's all kinds of sunglasses around the Peloton. Uh, you see all your favorite pros with all kinds of different glasses on. I think I think we've opened our minds a little bit about glasses since 2014. Well, these, these were the well, POC glasses that were um, kind of the casual style. And yeah, these are the POC a- Yeah, they're like casuals. aviators. They're aviators, real bad. Which, yeah. They're still no, bad. No, they're they, not real bad. Yes, they are. They, they are bad. They are not as bad as the hundred percents that we see out there that look like that you need to have a squeegee to clean because they those take are, up half your face. Yeah, those I hate. What, <laughs> no, here's the thing. is In this picture, you can almost see the Katusha guy behind Hezidal, and uh-huh. he's got on some like super tech Oakley things, and that, to me, is disgusting. These are great. You can wear these on the bike, off the bike. It's I classic. wouldn't wear those off the bike. Would you, Spencer? No. No, okay, absolutely well. not. Hello, guys. So far, all right. It's a push. Let's go. All right, number glasses nine. that don't look like yours. All right, number nine, polka dot shorts. Yeah, meaning uh, the I think, KOM leader matching the jersey. Yeah. with the bibs. Now, I can agree that it's not always a good thing, but is it one of the ten worst fashion disasters in cycling? I think in the yeah. right riders getup, it's goofy it, enough. A little guy, it may be the worst because this photo for which they use, he also has a polka dot helmet mm-hmm. to go with the jersey. Yeah, it's Pierre Roland. I know. Here's the but thing, it's, Tim. He's French. Guy, He's in the polka dot jersey at the tour. You got po- to you got to go for it. This polka is dot payday, gloves, man. polka yeah. dot socks. This is just too much. You no. cannot go with polka dot shorts. So sorry, he is it looks being like you subtle. have a saddle. He, does, he didn't get polka dots on the bike. It he sounds like you guys uh, are, are one vote for each here. So I'm going to have to play tiebreaker. And I've said this before somewhere in the archives, in the bowels of this podcast, um, that if you win the yellow jersey and you put on yellow shorts as well, 
It's terrible. If you have the green jersey and you put on green bibs as well, it's a terrible look. But if you get the KOM jersey, <laughs> God damn it. you absolutely <laughs> need to go all out. The thing that he's doing wrong in this photo is Thank that he you, doesn't Spencer. have the dots all over the bike. He should. Yeah. Uh, it's easy to do. Just head to the office depot or whatever and get some <laughs> get little, some little uh, side hair stickers. Yeah, that are red. little red stickers all over. This, this is a glorious, glorious sight. It is... <laughs> so garish. It is so terrible, but it's earned. And it's the only one that is. Um, I, I think you can pull this off and uh, kudos to him. All right. Thank, thank so you. Guy, describe to us number eight. Number eight. It says Vladimir Carpet's mullet. Now, if you don't remember Vladimir Carpet's mullet, just think of Mitch Docker's mullet, but make, make it a Russian guy. <laughs> it's really good. He's on, he's on old Katusha. It's th- this is great to me because now there are so many mullets in the peloton. At that yeah. point, Vladimir Carpets was the only one holding the mullet down, he was a keeping leader. it going oh, yeah. from the nineties so, for sure. This is inspiration. Um, as you guys know, I went full mullet this past week. Um, yeah. I'm growing it. It's out. a baby it's, mullet, but it's, it's my you're time. working on. It. I it, like it. It's, it's a euro flutter, See, as my friend yeah. Martin said. The, but here's the boy. Here's the thing. Okay, I'm with you, little guy. Vladimir Carpets was holding this down be- way before it was cool, before the flying mullet guy out yeah. of New Zealand, what is that, Archibald, yeah. um, had the mullet, or was the, I mean, he was still probably packing diapers at the time Carpets was flying this glorious yeah. rug. Trendsetter is what I'm saying. Yeah, what's great about it is that he held he held strong. Like, he bridged the gap from when mullets were cool to when they were cool mm-hmm. again. Like, through probably 2000 yeah. to, to 20, I don't know, 18, there was this dark period where mullets were not acceptable, but he's, he did it. He's he like it. the Lamprey of mullets, right? Because Lamprey yeah. just held color. strong to the garish colored mm-hmm. jersey mm-hmm. combination, and now it's back. So he That's did a very good now. job of um, continuing yeah. here. It's true. Also, of note, on the jersey... It's a quarter zip jersey. I was going to say the picture. same thing. Yeah. That's, that's the real fashion disaster here. That's a quarter crazy, zip right? jersey. There you go. <laughs> Did you even All know right. those were still in the Peloton in the 2000s? All right. Number seven, Jan Ulrich's mop. Like, what the hell? It's beautiful. His what are hair they talking is about? Ulrich always had great hair. Absolutely. Yeah. Nice, subtle. He's got the, he had sort of, he did look like a mop on his head, but it's good. I liked when he grew it out. I don't understand what these people obviously hate fun. So far, this article, I'm with you, little guy. It's a little disappointing to claim that these are fashion disasters. They, they, it's more that they just don't like fun. Okay, number six. This is where I, I really pick a bone with them. Carrera's denim shorts. Now, come on. I think we all agree that the Carrera kit is so bad, it is one of the best kits ever. It's, it, come, it goes over the limit. Now, just in full, you know... Uh, clarity i have yeah, this disclosure. kit hanging up in my garage full disclosure yes. thank you this kit is hanging up in my garage i found Same. it at a swap for three dollars i will be selling this definitely putting this into little Heimar um and little nairo's college fund uh-huh. um, oh yeah when i sell it i mean this thing is amazing i've got the it's double so extra good. large version but yeah. this is a great kit you'll grow into it the faux the faux denim lycra shorts all timer all timers. It's so good. Absolutely. It's, it's, yeah. All right. We all agree. Okay. Number five, the team Kelme kit. This is, this is where I have a bone to pick. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. This is one of the greatest kits of all time. It absolutely It's kind is. of nauseating, but in the way that a good cycling kit should be. Exactly. It hits all the tasting notes that you need for a finely tuned cycling kit. It, so team Kelme was around forever. Mm-hmm. They have the pinstripes up on the top, or kind of the, the vertical stripes. Sorry, it's not like a soccer jersey. Soccer jersey, it green and white, same. vertical stripes. Looks fantastic. Oh, and what's that? Is there a slight, almost gradient fade into the blue shorts? Of course there is. It's amazing. So it's so good. good. And especially in this picture, they got the TT helmets on that have the gradient green to blue, yeah. and they got the green booties on. I mean... Again, these people writing this article, they don't like fun. All right, now, again, we're getting, we're number four. And this is crazy looking at our current Pro Peloton and 
what we see on the faces. They say David Zabrinsky's beard. And in this picture, he just has a mustache and a, and a soul patch. So they don't even know what they're talking about. We remember his Half beard. the Peloton has a beard now. Again, yeah. a trendsetter. I mean, can we call what David Zabrinsky did a beard? No, but this is a, it, this is facial hair, and there was almost no facial hair at that point. Almost none. So I understand That's that true. it was shocking to these editors at some point, but currently there's a lot of facial hair. The thing that I'm going to like disagree with you guys on here is it doesn't say that facial hair in the Peloton is a is a fashion disaster. It says David Zabritsky's beard. <laughs> It specifically says his beard, and it was a disaster, and still to this mm. day is a disaster. I like it. I think it completes his face. Simon Geshka, all day. Love it. Can't get enough of it. Dave Zabritsky, no, I'll pass. Leave that in 2004. Well, <laughs> speaking of beards, I think we must continue okay. to go on to the number podium, th- number three. Number three. Now, I kind of agree with this one a little bit, just because I'm not a big fan of the, the dye job. But they say Peter Sagan's beard. And this, this you must remember, is 2014. So this is pre-Peter Sagan beard. This is when he had a goatee yeah. and he dyed it green at the tour. Yeah. These people live in a world where they haven't even seen Hobo Bike Razor yet. They, I can't even imagine yeah. what they felt a couple years later. Hobo Peter Sagan? Oh, yeah. I mean, when he was a wizard, that was the best. They haven't seen Peter Sagan in World Championship stripes yet. They have no idea what's coming. Yeah. No, they don't even know what's coming. So if they're taking offense at this, I'm sorry for them. They must have a hard time, like, reading the news in general. Okay. Yeah. Now, number two, this is where it gets personal. Uh-huh. Lorne Fignon's <laughs> ponytail. What the hell? Maybe, I don't know if you guys can imagine this might be why I found this article. Okay. Might this be. is where the SEO came through. Yeah. That... Fignon's ponytail is one of the 10 worst fashion disasters. It's on the podium. <laughs> now, here's a, here's a couple of things here, little guy. This article, written 2014, December 2014. W- this this picture is from, what, 89? So this is from this 89. Has a, this is from the tour peloton. The, the this has a good file. 25 years of... 25 years of, of, of pain it, it caused the authors of this article. For 25 years, this ponytail has been bothering them to put it at number two. Just think about how horrible that ponytail is to this writer. They're insane. It's a beautiful ponytail. He looks great in it. Are you sure that it wasn't the ponytail that cost him the eight seconds on the Champs-Élysées that day? I am sure that the combination of many things cost him the eight seconds. He rode two disc wheels, as you can see in this picture. He had a saddle sore. It was the last day of the tour. He didn't wear booties. He didn't wear a time trial helmet in general. He could have had any different hair. Yeah, I think the the front disc wheel makes up for the ponytail aerodynamics-wise. They cancel each other out. I think regardless of that day, the ponytail looks good on him. He's got class. He's got panache on the bike. Anybody that doesn't like his ponytail, again, hates fun. Okay, so Fignon's ponytail number two. So what could possibly be <laughs> worse to it? Like, 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 I guess what I'm saying is, like, I disagree that pony that his ponytail is ten awful. But put yourself in the shoes of this author, who obviously for 25 years this ponytail has been bothering him. Mm-hmm. Like, you would think that if you've been holding on to a grudge for 25 years, it's probably going to be number one. Clearly it's no. not. Yeah, no, number one, no, I mean, you're right. You have to read these things in the historical context of how they were how they're written. You know, you can't, you can't sit here in our, our woke world and see these things um, through their eyes. It's hard. But number one, Chris Horner's beard. Now, if you, if you got to really throw back to Mercury, what is this, like 2000 or 99 I'm or looking, something? this is 2001, Mercury. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a little bit of grunge. It's a little bit party. It's a little bit. It's a little bit country. <laughs> I think everyone should just, if they haven't seen it, just Google Chris Horner's beard. I'm sure this thing will come up first. Yeah. There is. We'll, I think we'll it's the same picture story. that everyone has seen. Like, there's no. Yeah. Like you're, you're not going to see this picture. Like, it's the same picture. He, he yeah. looks this, like he this, plays bass yeah. in Soundgarden or something. Like, it's it's. He, he yeah. looks like he just smoked a bunch of weed and he's out off the back of a race already. He asked the team car like, Hey man, can you just get me a vest? I'm just going to ride. I'm just going to ride back to the team, like the team bus. Um, No, 
This guy definitely had a DUI, and he's just going to buy some vape <laughs> juice. <laughs> I th- oh, Chris Horner. So it's I a mean, scraggly, dirty beard, but I mean, look look at him. He's a kid. Yeah, he's he must be barely thirty in this photo. <laughs> can I just say? Can I just say for Chris Horner? To me, when I think of Chris Horner, I think of Team Saturn. Yeah. I saw someone in a Team Saturn kit this weekend, Tim. On he the was Greenway. only on Team Saturn in 2003 for one year. And yeah. then he went to yeah. WebCore. Yeah. And then, of course, he got he left WebCore halfway through the year because Sunyar Duval signed him and brought him back. So, like, it's crazy. Like, he really was only racing domestic in the U.S., like, as, like, full-time domestic pro in the U.S., what, four years? One year of which he benefited on the Saturn sit-up to win every race possible. Yeah, he won, he won everything, though. I mean, that's why we think of him in that context, is he I mean, just won. It's just, it was well, a bike race. He won. He was Vanderpool of domestic Team Saturn racing. was, I mean, they definitely sold one car from that sponsorship. The old Saturn wagon that I had. Oh, man. Glorious times in that bad boy. Such a car. Too bad it needed oil. Yeah. Who would have thought? Hey, Spencer. <laughs> In your opinion, uh-huh. how do you, are you do you have as much anger as little guy about this article claiming from 2014 <laughs> the worst fashion disasters in cycling? Do you feel it's kind of an overreach like definitely clickbait? I yeah. mean, in 2014, I think I would have agreed with more of this than I do now, but certainly not all of it. There are some things that I was in support of fully in 2014. Um, looking back, I think maybe they only hit on like three of these, only three of these are maybe actual fashion disasters. Uh, the rest of this is completely acceptable. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think it's the, it's the, it's the confidence which they come at us with this as if they've found them and it's so clear. Um, but at the same point, it's, it's how much of this has become almost like standard in the Peloton now. It's like, it's like they laid out a list for, Cool, cool trends for the next five or six years at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> very true. No, very true. I mean, it. I appreciate you bringing this to our attention. Um, I feel bad for 2013 Vuelta España winner Chris Horner for taking the top step here. But it's, uh, I don't know. I think it's pretty amazing. It's, it's deserved. Was it that long ago that he won the Vuelta? Yeah, seven years ago he won the Vuelta. Wow. I think we need to talk to our own fashion disaster expert. Of course, I'm talking about friend of the podcast, Bling Matthews. This is Mitch Stocker, and you're listening to The Slow Ride Pod. All right, guys, once again, we are here in the premium lap. Let's talk a little bit about the Wide Angle Podium Network. Head on over to wideanglepodium.com where you can learn about our great family of shows. And then if you're so inclined, you can hook us up with a donation. I guess I have no other way to say it. We love it. It's it's appreciated and allows us to continue to bring the podcast to you. It's like buying us a beer so you can do a one-time or continuing donation just click on donate, find out how to sign up on the shows. And with that, Spencer. Yeah. What have you been listening to on the network lately? Oh, man. I have been eating it up. There's been so much good content, uh, even without bike racing happening. And maybe the best example of that recently is Bike Shop CX. Oh, uh, yes. Not a show that you're familiar with, you should get familiar with it because, man, there, like I just said, there's no bike racing. So what are you even doing with your bike? Nothing. What should you be doing with your bike? Upgrading things, doing some maintenance, <laughs> adding bits and boops, doing messing it up. Exactly. It's perfect time to try and adjust that derailleur that you don't know how to adjust and get it all out of whack and then figure out how to do it again. Like get it back because what they do over yeah. on Bike Shop CX is walk you through all kinds of mechanical uh, dilemmas like that. They'll teach you <laughs> how to bleed your brakes. They'll teach you how to adjust your derailleurs. They'll teach you all of these things. And they have hundreds of episodes going back through the archives about pretty much anything you could hope to learn about your bike. And 
It really is. If you're a fan of car talk, you're going to be a happy camper uh, listening to Scott and Mr. David Palin over at the Bike Shop CX. I love those guys. They have great radio voices, and they also do a fantastic job of dumbing problems down to our level, but then also enjoyable conversation throughout. Mm-hmm. Um, it's I love it. It's a great show, um, and tons of people listen to it, which is fantastic. I've run into people that are like, oh, yeah, the bike shop guys. And then now it's Bike Shop CX, so it's a yep. one of our uh, uh, lovely cohorts on the network. So definitely check it out. And Bike Shop CX is brought us the title of one of our very own Grimper Brothers coffees, Ooh. and that is Viewer Mail. Yes. And that is just a blend that Grimper Brothers put together in support of the network and our partnerships. You can go to wideanglepodium.com slash coffee to see the two different blends. And then we also have Hello Cyclocross Friends um, out of uh, Cyclocross Radio, which is an espresso blend. And Grimper Brothers continues to give us support. And little guy. (laughs) (laughs) Don't be a skimper. Serve them Grimper. Nailed it. Nailed it. Can't see the little arm thing I do with it, but I do in a little. I do a little arm thing. It's, it's like, like a involuntary. Situation. I can't. Yeah, I don't know. I can't. I can't help it. I can't sing it without doing the little arm thing. That's good. <laughs> and uh, finally, head over to bucklerskincare.com and check out the Miracle Wap Chamois Cream. Once again, bucklerskincare.com and our very own Miracle Wap Chamois Cream. The tingle is the miracle. Boys, with that, let's get back to the show where we have a ton of listener email and some other great questions to get through. My name is Matthew Vanderpool, and I don't listen to the Slow Ride podcast. All right, guys, we got some reviews. Let's get to the reviews if we can. Um, five stars, ACAB by Alex Cooper is the better host. This is for the listeners you lost. Well, uh, thank you for the five-star <laughs> <Thank> review. <laughs> Appreciate um, that, yeah. <laughs> I'll pour one out for the listeners we lost. Yeah, yeah that's uh, too bad. Uh, another five-star review, glorious outlet for my inane cycling questions. If I am a lady cyclist, does it count as a full schleck if I'm wearing a sports bra? What if I'm wearing a sports bra and a gold chain? Is it a fuller cup schleck? Anyway, I have no no one in real life to talk about pro cycling with, so you guys will have to do five stars. Perfect. Yeah, it's I, a full Yes, schleck. I think it's totally full schleck. Full schleck knows no gender. Yeah, of course. Fantastic. Sure. Thank you so much, Mimi002244. All right, guys. Let's get to our emails. We have a ton of great emails to get to. And first up, let's uh, um, give a shout out to everybody that emails at the slow ride podcast at gmail.com. And we have a ton to get to. First up, Eddie Plana writes us, thank you for the pod. You guys are great, but I have a bone to pick. Maybe it's just a thought and not so much a bone to pick. Who cares? But here it goes. You have the championship podium all wrong. Scenario one. The entire Contador Morton saga is one championship should go like this. On the bottom step, Lachlan Morton. Rationale? What he did was nuts. Very nuts. However, he goofed and needlessly had to do it twice, <laughs> which is why he earns the bottom step. That's fair. Second step, Contador. Rationale? Dude is retired, stomped on the throat of the th- on the throat without really training for it, and it came out of nowhere. What? Wait a second. Totally understand. Now, I don't disagree, but that who's going to be on the like if that's second and third, I don't even know yeah. who's going to be first. This doesn't make that sounds like a first place belt, argument. The championship belt goes to Lachlan's dad. Rationale <laughs> I think it should be pretty obvious, but I'll state it anyway. This is next level dadding here, and he should be honored as such. No, 100%. That's, 100%. Yeah. That's yeah. or scenario two separate the two into separate championships. Contador and Lachlan each get their time to shine. Sincerely, Amigo de la Pod, Eddie in the Pacific Northwest. Please stop talking about Schleck and PPS. Flandus sucks. <laughs> wow, so Whoa. much to unpack here, uh, especially Whoa. in the postscripts, um, Eddie. 
Uh, now, Schleck will continue to be talked about. It's amazing, and it just rolls off the tongue. Schleck. And Floyd Landis, I, the name Flandis, I never liked it when someone called him Flandis. So, yes, that name sucks. Agreed. Yeah, I didn't really like that because people used to call me Malin. Oh, but no. When I was a kid. Really? Back, yeah. Back to the championship belt talk, guys. Uh-huh. I do, I think Lachlan Morton is the rightful heir of the championship belt right now. Um, to have it. I have the feeling it will be ripped away as soon as Matthew Vanderpool starts racing again. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah, I believe, um, let me see, Sunday, August 1st, or Saturday, August 1st will be the... Uh, I think the argument could be made, and I and I really like this email scenario of, uh, of Lachlan's dad, and I can see the argument for Contador, but I, I think it's got to be an actual pro cyclist that we give it to, not a retired guy or a dad. <laughs> so those, those are going to be a little disqualification, uh, just technicalities. Um, I don't know, dude. Lachlan's and, mom did give birth to him. Uh, well, Think about it. Is, maybe. Um, the only other thing I want to touch on in this is the, uh, the Schleck mentions, which I can agree with. I think neither of them have been racing for long enough that we don't really need to talk about them at all. Uh, except all right. for the fact that, I, in my mind anyway, I completely separate Frank Schleck from going full Schleck. I think the two F Schlecks are like, they have no actual bearing on each other whatsoever. Um, it is just a yeah. legacy that he has left uh, with us, his gift to cycling. Ah, uh, yeah. And they brought it's us. It's pretty crazy how, how little we talk about his like tour podiums and and wins and yeah. races, yeah, and we just we talk, talk about, about the unzipped jersey. Is unzipping um, of a jersey. Frank emails us. Was just listening to the show as I haven't in a while. Don't worry, you haven't missed anything, Frank. Yeah, and I'm about to go ride the Stillwater Bridge Loop, which is a bridge loop in Minnesota. But I was thinking about what you guys were saying about the Ohio Street climb and motor pacing. As fun as it would be to sucking the draft of a box truck going up Ohio. <laughs> Ramsey Hill, Chillicoot, etc. No one would have, you would also have to overcome gravity, but so does the box truck. The end result is you would probably <laughs> pass said box truck going up the hill. That's true. But this gives me so many bad ideas for other rides. In fact, the other day I found myself drafting a dump truck for a bit. I think it would have been fun if I was ready for it, as I have done that before, but also worried about the rocks coming off the tires as that also happened. Frank. Yeah. I do think this is a very good point that, yes, you need to hit the box truck at the right time. You can't get the box truck at the steepest point of the hill, but when the hill starts to level out a little bit and there's any type of arrow benefit, that's when you get on it. Um, I think we should do a power ranking of trucks to draft behind. I'll start. One, car transporter trucks. So these are the trucks Uh, that have mm -hmm. the cars stacked on there, and if you do it right, there's actually a car that will be over the road way in the back. So yeah. you can actually tuck underneath the the truck itself. You should totally try this. Tell tell the ambulance driver when, yeah. when they pick you up that the Slow Ride Podcast <laughs> mentioned this amazing idea to get really yeah. close to box trucks. Um, yeah, that's a that's a solid truck to get behind. It's almost like being in a wind tunnel. Um, and then descending down, uh, box truck two, semi truck three, and then everything after that. If it's a truck, you don't want to be behind it because you got like cement trucks yeah, yeah not a good idea garbage mm-hmm. truck sounds terrible garbage right. truck sounds and smells terrible especially when you get stuck at a stoplight behind it and there's that drip coming down uh, <sighs> dump truck can't can't do dump truck dump trucks are also horrible mm-hmm. just grit you better have sunglasses on if you're behind a dump truck because you're gonna get sand and grit and all yeah. kinds of stuff yeah yeah well don't do it behind any old random pickup because they might roll some coal on you or something Honestly, it's a pretty bad idea all around. Just, <laughs> totally probably, a bad idea. Probably should not. Yeah, do you that. you might also <laughs> die, so yeah. don't do that. We need every listener we can get at this point, so let's yeah. uh, let's keep them alive. <clears throat> just subscribe before you go out to that ride. The case against waving from Ewan. Good day, fine gentlemen of the Slow Ride Podcast. I hope you and all your listeners are keeping well in these unprecedented times. Ooh, with an introduction like that, I'm sure this email is going to go well, guys. I am listening. Yes. As a longtime listener of at least five episodes, I have little to complain about, except for one thing that is not unique to yourselves, but seems to be an obsession that many cyclists engage in. What's with the waving? 
I understand it at the base level. It's a traditionalist behavior club and touring cyclists, cyclists acknowledging each other's common endeavor. But these days, it just seems to be a gatekeeping action, something to enable biased views of other cyclists, a true cyclist waves at other cyclists. And if you listen to a wider range of people, there are considerations that we white males never need to make. We hear the moans on an increasing basis. Jambo Robbins didn't wave back because they are too serious because they wear Rafa, because they ride a Cervelo, because they ride for a McMahon Cat 5 cycling team. What, e- what even is the threshold? Aren't we meant to wave at every commuting cyclist? Or is it the only ones that have certain bikes and certain clothes on certain roads? Who are we to police the actions of others? We know nothing of them and their circumstances by the expectation that the wave, a gesture of camaraderie, has to be returned is surely one of bad faith. Then there are the horror stories of female friends who have been on solo rides and waved at a rider only for that rider to perceive that that was an invitation to do a U-turn to come and talk to them or to be stalked via Strava flyby. Hey, I saw you wave. One particular friend was followed home after they waved hello to a passing rider. If comments are to be believed, these people are somehow bad people for not wanting to wave back at passing riders, except they have a very valid personal reasons not to wave. Let's end this obsession with the wave. The expectation that it should be returned, normalize that our own actions don't have to be returned and it's okay if someone doesn't. The wave is just a wave. Ewan. Yeah, he makes some very good points. Lots of good points. I would argue that no one should ever make a U-turn back by a wave, but it's easy for me to say that. Totally, that's disgusting to even hear. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I, I think also, he makes a very good point, yeah, that it's you should wave. The, Maybe we should say you can wave, but like, don't accept anything back and don't take that as... Don't take it as offense. So maybe we could do a better job don't of... Don't take it as anything. Blast putting, putting teams on full blast, although that's kind of half the fun of the, the Slow Ride podcast um, for when teams don't wave back. I am a proponent of the wave. I have I wave at as many cyclists as possible. The the return back hurts my feelings only when it's like always the same person's team, I guess, is what I would go. Mm-hmm. Or the same person consistently that I ride with all the time. And I'm like, you didn't wave at me. But maybe I'll I'll start to change my opinion a little bit. But as yeah. far as random person on the street, I've always done the wave as like, hey, it's cool that we're all racing, riding cycling, riding bikes. Nice to see you. Keep it going. If that person doesn't ride, but wave back to me, I don't take it as a personal knock. Right. Unless they're yeah. fully kitted up. And then so, that gets into what Ewan was saying about <laughs> if you're what they're wearing. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, we yeah. Say, are we, we're making a if you're kitted up. Because I 100% understand why a woman, yeah, you know, person yeah. of color, transgender person would feel totally different about the situation than us as a bunch of white guys. I guess when we uh, are proponents of the wave, it's, I mean, we have said this before that, you know, you can wave, you can raise a finger off the handlebar, you can nod your head. It's, it's any sort of acknowledgement of the greater community that we are together. We are, we are out there, you know, whatever, fighting the elements, making ourselves better, as, as healthy individuals or fighting against the cars and the traffic, whatever. It's just an acknowledgement of each other's struggle and that cycling can be a little bit unforgiving, um, especially when you're out there riding solo. Um, and, you know, if somebody does wave at you, you should absolutely return that wave. Um, one thing you should never do, regardless of who waves at you, is turn around and try to, uh, you know, I don't know, draft them or chat them up or anything like that. That is yeah. unreasonable. And uh, Or to find goes, them on Strava. That's just, that gives me the EBT. It goes, yeah, 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 yeah. Don't do that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> dear listeners, we love all of you. Don't do that. That is a bad thing. Don't do it. I, uh, it's, it's like, uh, no, I so, just don't do it. I, well, I do yeah. want to. There's no justification into my own opinion on this other than I think the waving to me, I always felt super awesome when I would get a wave from the local hotshot cyclists up in Minnesota. Like if I saw Doug Swanson or Dan Swanson out on the road and they were like, oh, hey, like a wave, like a hello. I was like, wow, these are like the fastest guys in the Twin Cities and they're willing to wave to me. 
while they're doing an interval or going way faster. And then you would see like the local person that I rode with all the time or the other local cat three, not wave back to me. I was like, Oh, while they're doing an interval. Like I was like, if the really, if the pros can do it, then you know, you can wave. Yeah. And I mean, I don't, uh, I don't have any expectation that you should wave at every single person you see riding a bike. I think, I think there's a, I don't know, outside of normal, commuting city limits zone all of a sudden it becomes like oh you're out here i'm out here like acknowledgement kind of thing i don't think when you're riding into work in the morning you need to wave at every single person on the bike path that's crazy you know unless you're unless you're our friend Derek lewis in new york city who has emailed us countless times about this whole waving thing on the west side trail he's like there's hundreds and thousands of people on this trail i am not waving at anybody and that's just that's just it if it's a if it's a well-established place where there's constantly riding. You don't need to. That's fine. Like everybody gets it. You, it's an obvious, there's a community thing happening there already. It's, it's when you come across someone out on your loop, they're doing the other loop in the opposite direction, whatever. It's, it's a, it's a, just a nice thing to do. And that's all it is. It ends there guys. It ends there. Yeah, don't that's make fine. the U-turn. You don't need to look it up on like, it doesn't matter. Just, you know, if it was meant to be, it'll be meant to be some other way. That wasn't how it was meant to be. So just, you know, complete your ride. Do your intervals. Leave it alone. Well, you appreciate the email. Best race? Question mark. This email comes to us from Mayan. Hi, guys. My partner and I are brand new to cycling, but we have quickly become addicted to the sport and to professional road racing. We love Sagan and Nairo Man. And we strongly dislike Mikel Landa. Oh. <laughs> In just a few weeks, I've watched broad- broadcasts of multiple classic races, and I'm extremely drawn to the confluence of tactics, talent, and luck it takes to win a race. So here's my question. If you could show a potential fan just one road race from the last five years... Ooh, I did... When I actually did this, I did consider the last five years. Uh-oh. Uh-huh. Uh, Uh-oh. From the last five years, I could hopefully hook them onto the sport. What race would it be? By the way, oh. full disclosure... My partner is Tim's now reflectorless friend. <laughs> Once I listened to the pod, I popped my reflectors off and went on the longest ride. So thanks for that. Anyway, oh, thanks for reading wow. my email. And thanks to Tim for being the best bike guru. Two ultra rookie, rookies oh, could I ask see for. Why Tim read this. Oh, uh, especially one. read that okay. postscript. I mean, yeah, guys, yeah, yeah. do you consider me a bike guru? Mm. Uh, you, wow. For the, for the sake of the podcast and uh, the, in the, you know, popularity, keeping the popularity high. I'm going to say yes, but I don't mean it. <laughs> well, well, I got to uh, go do something. <laughs> so last five years, bike race. Um, I did not go last five, but allow me to, a couple of races come up. I was okay. definitely thinking uh, Paris-Roubaix, uh, 2009. Paris-Roubaix is pretty awesome. That's when Tom Boonen wins over Hi. Pipo Pizzato. Fantastic. Everyone's crashing at the end. That's a good one. I was also thinking that the Matthew Vanderpool Amstel gold race, yeah. was that last yeah. year? That was last yeah. year. That's what I was so, going to say. So, yeah, doesn't it feel so long I, ago now? So it's 2019 Amstel gold. Little guy, you're going to talk about that? That's yours? The 100%. Yeah, 100%. Okay. Yeah. So I want to- I think is bar yeah. none first. Okay. First. Tim's just going to keep saying races until he gets all the ones that we would pick. That's just <laughs> no, how no, no, this no, works. No, it's, no I'm, oh, Spencer, were you going to pick 2009 Paris Roubaix? I don't, I'm probably going to pick whatever you say next. So you can, okay. no, no, I, I guarantee you are not going to pick the one that yeah. I rewatched the last hour of took some notes are to you, make sure it was oh, really you just gonna, good enough. You're just going to keep talking oh. or do you want to let little guy finish or me go? Or this is the most research Tim's ever No, done. I'm revealing mine. Okay, I'm revealing mine. I was given some background of the races that didn't make the cut. Oh, for me. Oh, so 2009. So you spent the last five minutes not talking about your pick. Oh no, no, yeah. yeah. That was just that was just okay. the hors d'oeuvres. Um okay, you're I need you guys to Sorry. transport back to two thousand five. I know it's fifteen years ago. Okay. But this is a glorious time. Think about what we were doing. We were all bike messengers in downtown Minneapolis living the life. Two thousand five, the Giro d'Italia, stage <laughs> nineteen comes around, the penultimate day. This, of course, is when Paolo Salvadelli starts the day. Two minutes oh, yeah. and 48 seconds in the lead. He gets dropped on the first time up the uh, Fenestra, which at the top of the Fenestra 
was nine kilometers of gravel. Yeah, which was mind-boggling. Mind-boggling in 2005. These guys are on 23s riding gravel. And little did we know what that would become, right? So here they are. Paolo Salvadelli gets dropped. Oh, who are the three leaders up the road? Little guy, do you remember? Rujano, Simone, and DeLuca. Rujano, Simone, DeLuca. What a <laughs> glorious day for myself. This, yeah. was, this was the moment. This race. I'm surprised you didn't have the stroke that day. <laughs> <laughs> wow. wow. <laughs> well, I, yeah, you think that this would have been the day. So not only do we get Paolo Salvadelli's legendary descending skills to keep the pink jersey. Can he keep it? That's the question. Not only did World Cycling Productions name an entire DVD series after this stage for the 2005 Giro when they said Il Falco descends to victory. Swoops. Swoops to victory. Thank you. (laughs) Spencer remembers selling a lot of these. Says the man who had to sell it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, There is a quote afterwards that Paolo Salvadelli gave to the newspapers in which he said, after cycling, I don't want to be a team manager. I have a construction business to run. Oh. That's amazing. I didn't even know that. But here's the here's the thing, little guy. Do you remember? Okay. Do you remember when Ruhano attacks and that has an extra long top tube slash stem, right when Simone is putting the water on his face? Yep. And Ruhano goes to glory. Yeah. And yeah. Deluca's cramping costs yep. Simone the help. Oh my God! What a glorious day, <laughs> Mayan. 2005 Giro d'Italia stage 19. You cannot get more beautiful of this sport. Yeah, this is good it. Pull, that, good pull. Good pull. I wouldn't okay. have thought of that. That's a really good pull. That is definitely up there. It's outside the parameters of five years, but man, it's it still sticks with me. Yeah. But if within the five years, definitely just go watch that 2019 Amstel Gold. Oh, talk it up. Why, why would we watch the 2019 Amstel Gold? Um, because you get Fuslang and Alaphilippe breaking away and very clearly riding for the victory. It seems there's zero chance of anyone coming back. Yet Vanderpool keeps getting closer and closer and closer. And Fuslang starts playing games and Alaphilippe starts looking around and then they're looking at each other. And then before you know it, there's Vanderpool charging down the finishing straight and he opens so up the sprint with eight seven eight people on him and he blows everybody away and flies right past our leaders who've been joined didn't he have he had like a flat tire with 30k to go too right Uh, and brought it all back i don't know if he did he definitely attacked at like 45k and went clear with some some astounded dude who's just policing him yeah and it sort of seems like he yeah i 100 percent thought and i think the commentators too if you watch it that's the best place to watch it. It started when he attacks because everybody's like, well, that's it. He, he, he blew it too early. He burned his match. It's, he comes back from nowhere and he just, it's just, it's mind boggling. I was, I was watching my son try to poop and I had to bring the computer into the room because of course he had to go at that very moment. And I was in his room jumping up and down screaming um, my father-in-law coming in being like, what's going on? And um, he's still in diapers. Twist I didn't see coming. <laughs> and I was just like, I was just like, I've never been so excited watching a race. Um, it was, and, I remember yelling at my TV screen, little guy, can you give a 15 second cliff note version on who Matthew Vanderpool, like we say Vanderpool, like everyone knows who he is. So just a quick 15 second to someone new to the sport, like Mayan. I I don't even know how to do that. I don't know, Sam. He's he's a cyclocross god who we talked up nonstop, and uh, he's fulfilled his promise on the road of winning what seventy percent of the races he enters. It's insane. And he's also a mountain bike racer, and he's also a great it. mountain biker. I'm just throwing that under the bus. And he's yeah, he's yeah. he's the son of cycling royalty. He's just he's insane. Yeah, way better than Sagan. So, um, <laughs> Spencer, he, yeah. What do you got? I am, uh, uh, along with little guy, I did read the email correctly <laughs> and choose something from the last five years, not something from, I don't know, 
whatever century you picked your race out of. Um, and I went with a little known race called Strada Bianca. And uh, I chose the 2018 edition because if, mm-hmm. if I was new to cycling and wanted to, wanted something to really show me the depth, like the heart that you can have for cycling, for racing, to really empty everything that you have out on the road in a bike race, it is demonstrated in the 2018 Strada Bianca by Wout Van Aert. This is the uh, edition where he famously like cramped and fell over on the finishing climb uh, and then had to get back on his bike laboring up the final like few hundred meters uh, to the finish line to finish second place. This is when he was completely unknown. Third place, was it? Uh, Third place. um, Completely unknown to... Completely unknown, riding for a small Belgian team that probably didn't deserve to be there. No. Um, It was an incredible ride by him. It was an incredible showing uh, of, of just the passion for cycling. If that race doesn't get you fired up about bike racing, about road mm. racing, and about just going out and, and crushing some hills, uh, you know, then there's there's no hope for you. Yeah, it's yeah, it's a great race, a fantastic. That, you're right, Van Art. That one can the, yeah, the to. understudy to Matthew Vanderpool. So they came <laughs> into the sport, cross, like that's not buried. Like yeah. we knew about him before everybody else did. Yeah. And we weren't even the first to know about him because that's Bill over at Cyclocross Radio was was all about these guys well before I even knew they existed. And then I know that there was another um, race we were I like collectively we were talking about that's also fantastic, and that was what was it the La Corsa uh, race, the Tour de France. Yes, yeah, the one in the mountains. Um, yep, twenty eighteen. Um, that's the uh, women's uh, stage that they do during the Tour de France. Um, I would say 2018, if you're going to watch one, is yeah. probably the one to watch. Uh, kind of ends in uh, in nail-biter um, with all the big names up there. Uh, Van Vluten, Van der Breggen, and Molman Pasio. And yeah. featuring maybe the greatest post-race interview that has ever happened <laughs> in the history of cycling uh, by uh, Cecile uh, Ultra Ludwig after yeah. the race, giving an an impassioned speech. So that's the 2018 uh, La Corsa, I believe is yeah. what it's yeah, called, La right? Corsa. Of the tour. Yeah. So that's the or women's the, race. Or, if, if, if a little more heartbreaking, but awesome on the women's end is if you watch that 2016 Olympic games race. I already sent that over oh, to him. Like that, that one's, one's okay. That is, and actually that is maybe like you should watch a few races before that one because there is a certain stress level of the amount of crashes that occur, but it is also an amazing race. So I sent that one over to Maya and I was like, oh, you should totally watch this. This one's amazing. Start at like 50K to go. Ugh. And then she watched it. She's like, oh, it was great. And I was like, oh, did you see everything? She's like, actually, I just went to the, the final like 10K. I was oh, like, okay. oh, no, you, you missed like the most epic uh, sadness um, yeah. of that race. But anyways, that, good stuff I, there. Yeah. All right, guys, one final email. This one comes to us from Justin. Very important question for the pod. Not sure if you've already answered this one, but here's my question. Who would you say has the best pain face in professional cycling based solely on the 2019 Tour de France stage recap video I've seen? My vote goes to Thibaut Pino. It looks like his soul is constantly trying to leave his body. So yes, this is a classic debate. The question mm-hmm. is, who amongst you three has the best pain face between us three? Uh, oh, okay, so between first, us. between us three, who has the best pain face while riding bikes? Hmm. Uh, uh, I think it, hmm, I don't know. I think it might be Tim. I was going to say, I think it might I, be Tim. I kind of have the Mansebo thing down a little bit. Well, and um, part of the reason uh, Tim gets my vote and little guy's vote is he is obviously most likely to be in pain during uh <laughs> during some racing that we would have done yep thomas vokler always had a great uh pain face oh the tongue. Had the tongue. it's vokler like there's no question like that ah uh, we don't what about need a to d- debate no he's just sad all the time that's oh guy you can't yeah, do but that sometimes that. his mouth gets so wide he Aru does look to me like somebody is reaching into his mouth and pulling out his soul. Now, 
There I mean, is the the faces of a Rue Instagram account, which is also I, brutal. I, think, I mean, come on, guys. Aru, not a handsome man. It's it's like it's kicking a man when he's down. You can't you can't just do this. <laughs> I didn't know there's an Instagram. This is great. Well, this is oh yeah, the faces of Aru. It's a it's an amazing Instagram account. Um, Aru's not as good as Thomas Vokler. Thomas Vokler, hands down, is the best one. Aru, the showmanship alone. Aru oh, is definitely. pretty hilarious. Though. I mean, Aru, I don't know. Aru's got the paint. I think Vokler has more, more. Yeah, he has a lot of showmanship, French. but Aru to me always looks like somebody's ripping him apart. <laughs> I mean, the Peloton is ripping him apart. So. Yeah, I mean, the last couple of years. I'm extremely hopeful that this is a year that Aru comes back because I want to see those paint faces up there in the mountains okay. this year. Awesome. Well, guys, with that, I think we had another great episode of the Slow Ride Podcast. I would definitely like to thank all the listeners and supporters of the Wide Angle Podium Network. Head on over to WideAnglePodium.com to see the entire slew of shows that we have on offer and uh, perhaps support or do whatever you want to continue to show your love for the podcast. Yeah. And you can do that by going to WideAnglePodium.com slash coffee to get your very own Wide Angle Podium Grimper Brothers Coffee Blends. And little guy? <laughs> don't be don't be a skimper. Serve them Grimper. Alright, we're working on it. And um, yeah. we'd also like to thank Buckler Skincare, bucklerskincare.com and check out the Miracle Wap Chamois Cream. Major shout outs to BK1 of Rhymesters Entertainment for the intro and outro music. And with that, this is Tim in Orlando, Florida. This is Matt in Minneapolis. And this is Spencer in Boston, reminding you to always wave at all your fellow cyclists that you see out on the road and then continue going forwards. The Slow Ride Podcast. Bikes, advice, and rumors straight from the source. TheSlowRidePodcast.com and on Twitter at TheSlowRidePod. It's like you're in the cupboard, you're in the cupboard, and you got guests over, and you go in the kitchen. Oh, yeah, I'll make you coffee. And you're like grimber in one hand, and you got the Folgers in the other. And then the little the little devil in your corner is like, just give them the Folgers. They'll never know the difference. And then, and then the little angel's like, don't be skimper. Serve them grimper. They'll totally notice. That Folger sucks. And you're like, that's true. I want to be a good host. Okay. Hey fans and loyal listeners of the Wide Angle Podium, it's Rob Kelly, the host of No Training Wheels. Please join me and the rest of the Criterium Nation as we explore the best that domestic road racing has to offer. In each episode, we meet and hear from the racers, teams, promoters, and people that make the American road scene exciting and engaging, and go beyond the results to talk about the how and why of racing that fascinates us all. So subscribe to No Training Wheels anywhere you get your podcasts, For a full archive of episodes, please visit our website, No Training Wheels Pod, or follow us on Twitter at NT Wheels Pod, or on Instagram at No Training Wheels Pod.